0: We take the word of God, please, and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. (coughs) Philippians, chapter 1. And we'll read the introduction, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. 4. Your fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. I'm going to end our reading there this morning, trusting that God will bless the reading of His Word, and let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, help us this morning as we look at Thy Word. Lord, we need Thee. We pray that the word would be preached not in word only, but with the Holy Ghost and with much assurance. Lord bless, for Jesus' sake today. Amen. Amen. Well, we are looking at Paul's prayer. We have been looking at Paul's prayer for spiritual maturity among the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 and the last time we looked at this chapter, we noted that there are seven characteristics that the Apostle Paul is praying would be cultivated in the church at Philippi. The last time we considered the first three characteristics, which were love, knowledge, and discernment. Noting that the word judgment, which our translators chose, It's really our word for discernment. Discernment. Today I want us to look at the other four. And really I'm going to break homiletical rules today. And I'm going to skip an introduction and go right to these four characteristics because there's so much to cover. And I fear breaking them up would be to break up the continuity of what Paul is saying. So we're going to quickly go to these characteristics beginning with excellence this is the fourth characteristic the apostle paul is praying will be cultivated at the church at philippi excellence if you look with me at verse 10 paul writes this that ye may approve things that are excellent that ye may approve things that are excellent now what is what does this mean well to approve means to prove or to show to be true, as the dictionary says. Um, the Greek word translated approve is translated try in first Corinthians chapter three and verse thirteen, which reads every man's work shall be made manifest. This is speaking of the day of Christ when ministers, specifically in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, will stand before Christ and will have their good works tried. Tried. Because, excuse me, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire, that's God's judgment, not a a judgment of, of, of wrath or punishment, but trying the works, the good works, of ministers and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is and that word try is the same word translated approve to test and so to to try or to approve is to put the works of ministers in 1 Corinthians 3 to the test of God's flaming perfect law to see whether their works are wood, hay, and stubble or precious stones. And so the Apostle Paul says, I want you to approve or to try to test and investigate those things that are excellent. Now what he means here is this. He's saying that I want to be cultivated in you. This is an aspect of discernment. The ability to try and test the things that differ, which is what this word is, excellent, differ, that you may be able to know what things are excellent. This gives us a principle that is enduring for all the Christian life, brothers and sisters, and it is this. The Christian must not only choose between the good and the bad, but between the good and the best. It is generally easy, sometimes at least, to discern between the good and the bad. But it is not always as easy to discern between the good and the best. And what Paul is praying for here is that there would be cultivated in the Philippians such a wise discernment that they would be able to try and put to the test of the word of God things that are not clearly wrong that differ, that they may show what is excellent or what is best. And that takes spiritual maturity. That is a mark of spiritual maturity. There might be many Christians that could could say clearly Clearly, this is wrong. But when faced with a life changing decision, perhaps, with two things that aren't clearly wrong, they won't have the discernment to choose what is best. This is extremely important in the Christian life. Um, When believers make decisions, sometimes you will hear something like this Well, it's not clearly sinful. So I'll do it. But the mature Christians excuse me, the mature Christian asks this: What is best? Not just what is right and wrong, what is best. What is excellent?" He may ask something like this: "What best cultivates Christ's likeness in me? What most glorifies? God What offers the least opportunity for my flesh? What provides the greatest testimony to the lost? What is excellent? What is best? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter six and verse twelve, all things are lawful unto me. Believer, there are many things lawful. Now, this is not within the realm of what is clearly prohibited by God's word. But within the realm of those things that are allowed by God's word, there are many things that are lawful. But just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's what we should do. Paul then goes on to say, But all things are not expedient. Just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's best, doesn't mean it's expedient, doesn't mean it's what I should do. An example of an immature character in Christians is found in the Corinthian church. We know it from the very beginning of the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the immaturity in the Corinthian church as they fought with one another over who is the best preacher. But this immaturity is also seen in their desire for certain spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, Paul wrote this to them, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Covet earnestly what? The best gifts. You see, in the Corinthian church, there is a great desire for the gift of tongues. Now, I don't have the time this morning to go down the road of what significance the gift of tongues has for us today and why we do not have that gift in the church. But suffice it to say this, there was a gift of tongues in the New Testament church. There was a gift given to believers whereby they could speak the gospel in real human languages. Not with the voices or language of angels, but in real human languages. For the purpose of preaching the gospel And vindicating the gospel and as a sign of judgment to the Jews. But I'm going to try to stop there. But the point of this with regards to choosing what is excellent is that these believers had an immature desire for speaking in tongues. Maybe that was just the thing in the Corinthian church. It was perhaps a very popular thing to speak in tongues. And it was an outward gift, you see. People could see it. It was visible, but Paul says, you completely missed the boat. It's not the best gift. The best <laughs> gift is, is love. Or prophecy would be preaching. It's not tongues. To an immature Christian, tongues looked wonderful. Because to them, wow, I can speak another language. But to the mature Christian, I would rather be able... To speak the mysteries of the gospel clearly in my language. I would much rather have love. Don't you see that sometimes in the church today? A craze over certain manifestations, so called, of the Spirit, miracles, etc. You know what that is? Brothers and sisters, that is a demonstration of the spiritual immaturity of the church. There should be a hungering and a thirsting for love and faith and righteousness and holiness and to preach the word of God. Not for these things. Choose what is best, Paul says. This also gets into the realm of Christians spending their time, perhaps, their mental energies on things that are not excellent. Excellent. There are some believers that will spend a lot, lot, lot of time on little, little things. Things that are not that important. Maybe even things that are lawful in life to do. And I'm not saying that you don't take time for recreation and you don't take time to spend with your family. That is absolutely necessary. But only you know in your own soul if you make the choice often between the good and the best, you choose that which is lawful, but you do not choose that which is best. Best for your soul. Best for your spiritual growth. Some, some of us sometimes can get caught up with things such as the minute details of Bible prophecy. I'm sure you've seen conferences getting into the very minute details of Bible prophecy. What, you know? What color of hair does the beast have? and every little thing you could possibly get into. That is a lack of maturity. Choose that which is best. That's not the best that we can spend our minds on. That's not the best thing that we can meditate on. Choose that which is best, that which is excellent. And we need need that discernment. Um, Fortunately, sometimes what can happen is, with a lack of maturity... There can also be, and you see this in the Corinthian church, division and fighting in a body because Christians do not recognize what is worth fighting over. There are some things not worth fighting about. Just not. You might disagree with a brother on something it's not worth fighting about. There are some things that are worth fighting about. But we need to have that discernment to know And I'll just give you um, just some things I think will help us to grow in this discernment briefly. Number one, you need to know God's word and test everything you do by the word of God. I mentioned in Sunday school, I've been reading the story of John Newton. And it will amaze you to know that after he was converted, he was a slave trader. After he was converted. Why? He did not bring everything in his life under the scrutiny of the word. He thought other Christians are okay with it, so I'll do it. Test everything by the light of God's word. Two, seek God for wisdom. It's hard sometimes to choose between the good and the best. Ask the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, open my eyes, open my heart to understand what is best in this situation. And then, I would say seek godly counsel. Seek the counsel of an elder who, is, who has experience in the things of God. Ask for godly counsel, or, or a mom, or a dad, or a deacon, or some sister or brother that you respect. And through those means, the Lord will help His people to grow in maturity and to be able to recognize what is best. Brothers and sisters, the difference maker in many Christian lives is that so many Christians just choose what is good but never choose what is best. Never choose what is best. Imagine what God could do with our lives. Are you doing what is best, what is excellent? But then the fifth mark that Paul prays for is sincerity. Sincerity. Paul says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere, sincere. Now, the word translated sincere literally means to be judged by the light of the sun, to be sun judged. You see, in ancient times, pottery was a very big business. And when people made very expensive pottery, they would make pottery that was very thin. It was clear colored. And when they would put it into the oven oftentimes it would crack because it was so thin, or they would handle it, it would crack because it was so thin. Now, this created a problem for the sellers because they had just made a very expensive piece of pottery that now was cracked. So what they would do is they would put a wax that was hard and clear on the pieces of pottery so that nobody could tell that this piece of pottery had been broken. Then they would put it in their shop and they would sell it at high dollar. The sellers knew, excuse me, the buyers knew that this was the case. So when the buyers would go to buy pottery in ancient times, they would take the pottery and they would lift it up in the light of the sun. And when the sun shone through the thin piece of pottery, it would reveal the crack. And only when they had turned it in the light of the sun... And they were satisfied, they would put it down and say, oh, It's been sun judged, or it's sincere. Paul is saying this He wants the lives of the Philippians to be sun judged sincere, no wax. You know how many people are cracked pots, cracked pottery? They have all sorts of wax to cover up the cracks. All sorts of ways. A profession, a smile, a nice demeanor, reading the Bible in church. This is the question of your inward life. Are you covering up cracks this morning? Who are you really when you're alone? Who am I? Do you put yourself in the shade so that no one can see that you're actually full of cracks all covered up with wax? You don't want to be judged by the light of the sun. We need to pray with the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, lift me up in the blazing light of your holiness and your glory and show me my cracks. Show me where I'm covering it up. Show me where I'm justifying my sin. Show me my cracks, Lord. Only the Lord, you know that? Only the Lord can search you. I would be careful searching yourself. Because no man knows his heart. Ask the Lord to search you. Paul wants Christians to be sincere, without wax, sun judged. But then the sixth mark is inoffensiveness. Inoffensiveness. Sincere and without offense. Now, sincerity and inoffensiveness really go together, but sincerity is the condition of your heart, your inward life. Offensiveness, or inoffensiveness, excuse me, would be looking at your outward life more. This characteristic is really inextricable from sincerity, But it is different from sincerity. A sincere person will be inoffensive in his walk. And an an inoffensive person will be a sincere person. But inoffensiveness, as I mentioned, deals with our outward walk. Now, the word here, without offense, is translated from a word which means to not trip by stumbling on a stone. Not trip by stumbling on a stone. The picture is of somebody stumbling over a rock that has been put in their place when they're walking. And so Paul is saying, I don't want you Philippians to live the kind of life that you put stumbling blocks in front of people as they're walking towards Christ. I don't want you to be an offensive people. Now, he doesn't mean offensive in the way that modern society means. You cannot point out sin in anybody's life or you're offensive. You can't be exclusive about your gospel or you're offensive. No, the word offense, what he means is a contradictory life. A life that causes people to stumble over the reality of Jesus Christ. When. A family gets up in the morning to go to church. And the mom and the dad are fighting and arguing and calling one another names in the home the whole way to church. Then they get out of the car. They walk into church with smiles on their faces and shake everybody's hands. That is offending their children. It is putting a stumbling block before their children. It is living a contradictory life, one that is with offense. And their children stumble over the reality of Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, no one is perfect. But this is a prayer for consistency. There will be times you fall, and the best thing you can do is admit you're wrong, apologize, and plead for the blood to wash your sin, even in front of those that you offend. Because we will all fall. But there are some that live a life that is offensive. I mean, I'm talking about blatant offense. I received in the mail, and I was going to bring it with me, but didn't. I received in the mail a flyer for a certain church. I won't mention the name that is coming up in the Orlando area. And I wish I could read to you what it said. It said, We are a church... That is for people that don't like church. Said, from rock and roll to deeply spiritual teaching. We believe church should be a blast. Said, we're as laid back as your favorite pair of flip flops. I checked it out. They're singing secular music, having a karaoke day for church. That is an offense. Why? Because when you speak in that service of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is holy, who is pure and righteous, and you mingle that with all that carnality, do you know what kind of massive stones you're putting in front of people? They think they're being seeker-sensitive. They're being very seeker insensitive. We're not to be offensive. We'll be pure and sincere, and to do everything we can not to put stumbling blocks in front of people as they come to Christ. Paul says, I want you to be inoffensive. I think of this for the preacher. Second Corinthians six verses three through seven, Paul says, Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. That's something that goes to my own heart. There's perhaps nobody that has a greater weight of responsibility to be careful that he does not put stumbling blocks before people and give offense than the preacher. Paul says, don't give offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. And by the way, this idea of offense goes into even very little things. We must be careful must be careful not to offend people. We could offend somebody for no other reason than we were just insensitive. Went to a restaurant. We were on a bad day. Bad attitude. We said something unkind to them. They hear us talking about Christ to see us praying before we eat. We're offending. We need to ask the Lord for help and pray that God would give it to us as Paul did. And then the last mark is fruitfulness. Paul prays this, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. I'm going to come back to the till the day of Christ phrase at the end here, but filled with the fruits of righteousness. So the last characteristic he prays for is filled with fruit. Fruit. Now when he says till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, he's speaking about the day of when the people, the members of the church at Philippi stand before Jesus Christ, that as they look back, the tense of this word is that as they look back over their lives and they stand there, it will be said that they have been filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Paul desires that on the day they stand before Christ, it will be said, the way you have lived, you have pursued a life filled with the fruits of righteousness. Brother and sister, what will be said of you? What will be said of me on that final day? We will all hear come into the joy of the Lord. Not a one of us will be judged for our sins. But, what will it be like on that day when we see Christ? Can you imagine? We really understand what it meant that he gave his life for us. And we think of how we only bore such little fruit. And we're never really concerned. I went to an apple orchard with my family one time in um North Carolina. And we went to the apple orchard in the mountains. It's a beautiful place they would give you a basket and you could go pick whatever apples you wanted. They had every kind of apple you could ever imagine all through this massive orchard. But unfortunately, the best apples typically have been picked. And when you get to the certain line that you really wanted to get to of trees where they had the best apples, you go up and down that line and tree after tree after tree after tree it would be barren and fruitless. And it would just... Disappoint you, right? So fruitless. There will come a day when Christ will go down the line of his trees. Will he find your tree full of fruit? Or only a couple hanging from the top branches? Every believer bears fruit. Every believer bears fruit. I want to make that very clear. Um, Matthew seven seventeen through 20, Jesus said, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Okay? Nobody who's saved doesn't bring forth fruit. But what we're dealing with right now is not simply fruit, which all believers bring forth, but the quantity. The quantity. Um, in John 15, the Lord Jesus says in verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. This is God's desire for his children. That they bear much fruit. And this is what Paul wanted for the Philippians. He didn't want them to just bear a couple odd fruit. Oh no, he wanted them to know what it was. To be full of the fruit of righteousness. Of love, of joy, of meekness, of patience. Perhaps of even seeing souls saved, maybe that was something in his mind of fruit. He wanted to see abundance. And believer, if we're going to have the heart of Paul, we need to have that hunger to be filled. Not satisfied. Filled. I must be filled. I'm not okay. I'm not okay with just going to church, coming home, reading my Bible once in a while. I want to be filled. Filled with the fruits of righteousness. That's Paul's desire for the Philippian church. And before I end, I want to draw your attention to three last things, three key marks of spiritual maturity in the apostle Paul that we see in his prayer, just briefly. As Paul is praying, you see a spiritually mature man in action. And there are three things that come out here, that really are key marks of spiritual maturity. Number one, Paul's eyes were fixed on the day of Christ. When he says that you may, your love may abound more and more, knowledge and judgment approve things are excellent, may be sincere without offense. All of that is with what goal in mind? The day the Philippians stand before Jesus. The day of Christ, we've said before, is that final future day when Christ will be seen in his glory, judge the world, and be met by his bride, the church. This is the great day of judgment. Believers and unbelievers will all be gathered there. Matthew 25, verses 32 through 33 reads, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on The left. This is that one great final day when all human beings will stand before the living Christ. And Paul's eyes were fixed on it. He was not living for this world. Jonathan Edwards prayed, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. That's Paul. He was fixed on the day of Christ. He was judging everything in his life by what will that how will that excuse me affect the day of Christ. His eyes were fixed on that inevitable meeting with Jesus Christ. He felt and knew himself to be a mere pilgrim through this world. He knew that he was headed for a meeting with Jesus. And every decision, every thought, every motion of his will in his heart, he knew, I'm meeting Jesus one day. That's the goal. That's the day when I will stand before him. That is a mark of spiritual maturity. When your heart and mine become fixed in mine with the day of Christ, more conscious of eternity than time, That is a mark of spiritual maturity. And the second thing is that Paul knew that spiritual fruit is only produced by Christ. Paul says this, I'm praying that you be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. The spiritually immature is always laboring in his or her own strength to produce spiritual fruit. They're always feeling like They have to continue to strive and and press in their own strength and try to conjure up the um, strength of character and the strength of will to get going for Christ. But Paul says it's produced by Jesus, not you. I remember when I was first saved, I was going, 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 going. I remember just knocking doors, doing tons of ministry, constantly laboring, constantly working for Christ and being so depleted in my soul because I was trying to produce all this fruit in my own strength. And I didn't understand that communion with Christ must precede my labor that my fruit is produced by Jesus who lives in me not by me and so the verse that really could really could define the spiritually mature christian is hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith the spiritually mature christian his eyes are always on the gospel he's always thinking about or he's looking to the fact that none of these fruits merit anything with God. I am perfectly loved and justified. I can't be loved any more than I am. These fruits are just my desire out of gratitude to live for Christ. And I recognize that I am absolutely bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. I'm bankrupt. I have nothing. And so I'm looking to Jesus I'm I'm thinking of his intercession for me that I would grow in Christ. I'd be sanctified through his word. I'm trusting him. And every time I fight sin, every time I labor for Christ, I'm putting my faith in his strength, in his power, in his ability. And I spend my time meditating on his glory and worshiping him and communing with him and recognizing my fruit does not come from me. That is a spiritually mature mark. The third thing is Paul's, and last, Paul's ultimate goal was the glory and praise of God in all things. The more spiritually mature we become, the more that goal will disperse, disperse dispense of, excuse me, everything else. Remember we did a Sunday school and we said that there are there are certain goals that we have, but then there is the one chief goal, and that is the glory of God. The more spiritually mature, the more that will become our burden. Let me give you an example. When you hear about when you hear about sin in your city or your nation, the spiritually mature Christian will be broken first of all for what reason because god is not being glorified when he sees or she sees a church that is is immature perhaps or they want to see souls saved or, or whatever they might want to see in their church the spiritually mature christian is not concerned with the name of the church <laughs> he's not concerned with the name of the preacher he's concerned about the glory of god and when he prays, he cries, Oh, Lord, save souls. Oh, Lord, pour out your Spirit. Oh, Lord, work. Because I can't take the fact that my Christ is not being glorified. Now you might say, Brother, I just don't, That's that desire is so low in my soul. And I'd say, it's slow in mine too and we need to seek the Lord to help us. But one thing that we do know is that this was Paul's great goal for a reason. And I think the more we understand this, the greater our desire for God's glory will become. You see, Paul's goal was God's glory because God's goal was God's glory. You see, God... Rejoices in himself first. And because God is so pleased with himself, he is happy in himself. It is God's goal and desire to glorify himself. And so, what I'm saying is the more you and I rejoice in God, see him for who he is in his glory, in the word, in the cross. In the scriptures, we see who he is, we meditate, we commune with him, we get to know him, we see him in his glory, the better worshipers we become, the better workers we will become. And the more we worship, the more we will want his glory. That is a mark of spiritual maturity. Ephesians 3.21, Paul says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We I mean, need to say with a hymn writer, all for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my beings' ransom powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours, let my hands perform His bidding, let my feet run in His ways, let my eyes see Jesus only, let my lips speak forth His praise. May God work that in our souls. And may that be our prayer as it was the Apostle Paul's for the church of Philippi. Let's end with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy word and how clear it is to us. Lord, we want to grow in Christ. We want to become more spiritually mature. Lord, cultivate that in us. Where we see how little our eyes are fixed on the day of Christ, how often we go on our own strength, how little we desire for God's glory. Oh, Father, work that in us. Not I, but Christ, beloved, exalted. Father, bless every one of thy people. Go with him today. Keep him in thy fear and thy favor for Jesus' sake. Amen.